0: Let's take it to the edge Let's get deflected
1: Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daily Knives, and this is The Knife Perspective, episode number 077. Where does the money go? How are you doing tonight, Kyle?
0: I'm doing pretty good. We've been all inside. Chicago and Detroit are ranked as the, the worst for air quality, uh, thanks to the Canadian wildfires. The
1: Thanks for sharing you, Northern... <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're supposed to keep it keep it on the down low there, Dan, so I don't have to edit as much. Uh but uh yeah, the I looking outside, it's like kinda gray and hazy and everything. It blows me away that there's that much smoke from the, the wildfires. Um that it can travel this far and still be as
1: potent. Thick, potent? Potent's a good word. Yeah. Potent potent you know, that's a really underused word. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to work that into my I'm going to work that into my my common usage for the next couple of weeks. Potent. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing pretty good, man. Um back in the grind room, knocking out knives and now just trying to desperately claw my way through the the back orders and try to get caught up. Um yeah.
0: I'm starting to get back into the swing of stuff. my My grandfather passed away two weeks ago, so we had the the funeral and stuff last week. And uh, on top of watching the boys before my wife was done teaching, and yeah, it's hard to get or what playing and doing stuff with the boys isn't hard, but it's really hard to get anything else done other than hanging out with them. So,
1: yeah, if you're doing it right, it's a job.
0: I mean. Mm-hmm. So, uh still been just trying to get out of the funk and get motivated to to get back in the shop. Uh, after that, my my grandfather was a pretty big influence in how I grew up and everything and the big reason why I go with KH Daily Knives cuz he was JH Daily Trucking. So,
1: yeah, I remember that he was a a significant part of his of your life and I didn't know if we were going to talk about it on the show, but yeah.
0: I, so
1: I hope that uh I hope that very soon you've got nothing left but the fond memories.
0: Yeah. I mean, never wanted it it's always hard. Uh we knew it was coming and coming close, he was ninety years old, so um uh, the the end comes for us all, but still is never easy.
1: No. And even in the case like my dad when when it finally came it was a mercy, but that didn't make it any less painful. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, now that you've brought us all down and uh, yeah, we we're, we're going to have to clear the room of uh ninja onion cutting ninjas.
0: Yeah. Um what are you drinking tonight?
1: Uh, you know, I'm 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 back to the tried and true cuz somehow my year supply of uh special belvedere, belvedere didn't quite make it a year. Mhm. So I am uh, I'm back to the standard belvedere. Okay. With my standard mixer. Which would be ice.
0: <laughs> yeah. I uh I got uh apparently I really like uh old fashions. So got uh drank quite a few of those last week and I'm having an old fashioned tonight, so
1: there's a digestif that I really like called China China. Spelled just like the country, but it's French. I I don't get it. Um it's it's kind of an orange spice liqueur, and I have come to learn that it makes a really nice old-fashioned as well. Hmm. Gotcha. Uh, it's, it's orange and notes of cherry with some some spice. Uh, Jack and I enjoy it just as a, a little after-dinner, just on its own. Some people cook with it, but I have also learned that it, too, is a pretty decent uh, old-fashioned base.
0: Huh. Yeah. The the one that I'm having tonight is made by Bullet Bourbon. Uh, they they have some pre mixed up that all you have to do is add uh, add some cherries. So
1: a bullet is bullet is one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, yeah. I need to get you a bottle of the Saint Elmo's one. Um, it's a local or a local to Indianapolis steakhouse that they're starting to market some of the things that they're known for, and their old fashioned mixer is a hundred proof right out of the bottle. So. Oh, perfect.
1: Yeah. That is all of the things that I love.
0: <laughs> so it was pretty good. Uh, I had two of them and uh, I was feeling pretty good and I don't have any idea how my, uh, my uncle drank four and he was still oh. coherent the next day.
1: <laughs> so. Some combination of deter, determination and um, experience. <laughs> Yeah,
0: we had a good time talking, and I sharpened some knives in between my first and second old fashioned. So, still, still, but was, not
1: after the second one.
0: Uh, when I finished up, I was like, all right, I'll take that second one now.
1: Uh, <laughs> well played. Yeah. So, all right, you want to talk about our sponsors? I do, and not just because they sponsor us, but because they're legitimately good people. Nice. Uh, I'm going to jump out by talking about Atlas Materials, and that is partially because I just got an order in for a special new project. Hmm. Uh, I might run upstairs and show you what I've done. It was one of the production concepts that wasn't ready for Blade. Okay. That uh, I might sit on it for another week, and once this uh, once this shows air, once this show airs you can tell we've we recorded backwards tonight we we did the guests first and <laughs> y'all are getting the intro by late in the show dan rather early rather than early in the show dan but uh you know i think i'm gonna sit on this and wait for this podcast to come out and then i will premiere a really new concept it is one of my early designs that was really funky And I've been working with uh, Joe Snarsky at uh, LMT and using his uh, his machining capability. We took a funky design that was just not financially practical and have now turned it into a funky design that's really cool and financially practical.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I'm kind of excited. Excited to see what you're doing
1: with that. And it's been great because I was able to reach out to Atlas and I needed some kind of. It was going to be most efficient to use some kind of funky thicknesses, and they were able to work with me to find volume of what I needed in the thicknesses that were going to make things most efficient. And uh, a lot of their single layer colors um, because it's a, a fairly small pattern. So the two by twos. The layers were so thick that you weren't really getting the effect very well. So I'm using a bunch of their single layer uh, two tone materials and it's, it's really come out nicely. So I, I owe Dan a little bit of a, no, I owe Dan a big thank you for taking a few minutes and working with me, but also because they've got such a large supply,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they're able to find the, the, the right mix of materials and thicknesses that, that would work.
0: Yeah. I'm constantly blown away, walking through there with all the stuff that they have. Like they started off in the pool queue industry and have really branched into the, the knife making thing really big. So uh, really supplying a ton of different sheets of anything
1: phenolic. And some of, I might be mistaken, but I think one of the other reasons they're able to do, volume is some of the the more reasonable priced uh, pool tables rather than using slate they used uh, phenolic
0: hmm.
1: um, and I think that is one of the reasons they were getting big sheets I don't know I have to check with Dan I may have just said something completely
0: inaccurate yeah I'm not sure about that
1: yeah you how know, the you know if I were the kind of person that made retractions I, I would but I'm not so you know what I'm just gonna go ahead and throw it out there
0: I know that they are uh, a lot of the cues, and Dan, Dan and Natasha showed me their custom-made pool cues, and man, with the silver inlay and all sorts of stuff on them, are, they're absolutely beautiful.
1: They they do stunning stuff. Um, the, the way I learned to play pool was uh, an acquaintance of mine was not terribly physically imposing, but he was a pretty good hustler. And he would warm up on me and kind of start his spiel. Um, So I learned playing pool with him while he warmed up. And one of his his scams was he would start talking. And then somebody would want to come over and, and shut him up. And I was terrible. And he would play just slightly better than me. And then somebody would come over to shut him up, and he wouldn't run the table on them. But no matter how good they were, he always se- just seemed to be a little better. Mm. And in return for that, uh, partially <laughs> helping make sure that that people paid their debts, um, he would uh, he would frequently take their cue as part of uh, making things square, and that's how I. Uh, I got my first couple of cues and how I learned to play pool. Just for the record, I am still terrible. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm going to tell this story and talk about the, the series of, of of cues that I, I had. That is not because I was good. If a listener, I mean, the sixth listener might be a pool player. I
0: only know of one that does, does pool. So
1: yeah, don't, don't expect anything from me other than that. When I was in high school, I was the kind of guy that could get other high school people to pay their debts. Um, <laughs> we need all types. But uh, but I was big money there for a little while with my, my two-piece uh, semi-custom pool queue. Very cool. And the kind of stuff that they're doing now with the, the inlays and the faux jade and the ivory. I mean, it's a whole nother world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of cool stuff. Sorry, I digressed. Another fun word to say.
0: (laughs) And um, if you're going to buy all that handle material, you're going to need something to uh, sand it. So uh, Phoenix Abrasives is a great sponsor of the podcast. Got to spend a lot of time next to Greg and Sean at Blade Show. Uh, Always great spending time next to those guys. And you can use discount code KP10 for 10% off your order. Uh, They've been selling a bunch of the compacted grain Via, I think it's a VSM belt, um, but it's their their higher grit finishing belts.
1: VSM,
0: VSM uh, is the company. Oh, that okay. Makes it. Um, so it's called compacted grain. So they're it's a structured abrasive that kind of looks like almost like sprinkles, but those sprinkles are made out of higher grit abrasive. So you can, I think it goes all the way. I think they carry all the way up to 800 grit
1: now. Um, and does that cut more aggressively or does it cut more consistently or both?
0: Um, I would think both. Uh, you can have mm-hmm. more abrasive there so you can like use a diamond tool or whatever to remove some of the outer stuff and still keep grinding kind of like the, the gator belts. Uh-huh. Uh, they're significantly cheaper than the gator belts. Oh,
1: so. All right. The right. I'm intrigued now. I'm pretty sure. I, I haven't looked at the prices, but I believe they were. But well, it depends on whether or not you're using uh price code KP 10 or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely, uh, definitely cheaper. So, um, yep. Ridge runner.
1: Yep. We oh, talk I'm about sorry. Him? Will you finish? Yeah. Cause first of all, Taylor's kind of, kind of my boy. I mean, I've known him for quite a while. He's helped me on a couple of my, uh, my my axe and tomahawk projects so when he when he took over at ridge runner that was that was pretty cool cuz he really knows the industry and to see him in an environment with a store with that kind of resources to start building out a store like I mean you see a lot of these guys where it's businessmen and yeah, the, the, the point of having a store is to make some money. But to see somebody that's passionate and knowledgeable like Taylor at the helm of a store with that kind of resources, they've already made some pretty big steps. And I am really looking forward to, uh, to seeing how Ridge Runner, he's, he's kind of reinventing the store right now. And I am really excited to see. I think they're going to be a force in the industry really within the next year or two.
0: Very, very cool to have them as a sponsor. And then we've got set supply, Spencer, Ed and Todd is the, the set supplies. Uh, They're doing some really cool stuff. Uh, Spencer posted some of Todd's old slingshot design that uh, they're going to start offering through set supply. Spencer's been uh, cutting some of them out on it looked like on the shop bot and doing some of his cool resin handles on there. So, lots of cool knife making supplies there and, uh, knife vise and stuff like that.
1: I've, uh, I've been testing some prototypes for them and some new materials and have been really pr- impressed. A couple of little tweaks and they have been great to work with. So, I am, uh, I'm, I, I'm, No, I'm not kind of excited. I'm I'm excited to see some of the new stuff they're going to be having coming out. And I like that it is for makers by makers. Mm -hmm. Now, that's kind of a cliche term, but all of these guys are in the industry. All of these guys make. So I don't know. Somehow it just feels right to be doing business with another maker. Yep.
0: Then we've got Chance Knife Supply. Got to talk with them at Blade Show. They have ordered a whole bunch of my books. Uh, they keep selling out, so
1: they are the leading supplier of sexy file work by Kyle Daly. <laughs>
0: uh, almost the t- title of the book, <laughs> but uh,
1: yeah, it, 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 it's a working title. Uh,
0: they've got all all sorts of knife supplies, almost anything you can possibly think of. So. Uh, you can use discount code KP grip for 10% off handle material there. And, um, yeah, lots of, lots of handle materials and stuff like that.
1: So I, especially for the, the guys that are kind of ones and twos, mm-hmm. it's a, a great chance that if you want to just do one knife, if you're working on a kit, it's a one-stop shop, you can buy the blade, you can buy the handle. They do some volume stuff, but they they really are the kind of the go to for, especially if you want some variety, because you can get one handle set of this, one handle set of that, and the prices are very competitive because they use they move so much volume.
0: Or if you get that custom order where they want uh, just one of something, and you don't want to have to buy the whole sheet, you that that works out really well
1: too. That is a very good point because that used to be the bane of my existence yeah. that I had to buy a whole sheet for a material that I'm not going to use again for two years.
0: Yeah, I uh, I have a ton of handle material, and it always seems to be the one that I don't have that the people want. So
1: <laughs> there we yeah, go. Everybody gets impressed when I say you know, the wall of handle material has at least 500 sets of handle material in it. What they don't get is the reason I've got all that handle <laughs> material is Nice. I had to buy a whole block to just make one handle. Very cool. <laughs> All right. Dealers. No, wait. Are we finished? Did I rush you? We got the last sponsors of the podcast. Oh, God. How, how could I forget them? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't want to say seminal because <laughs> that sounds kind of <laughs> sexual. But I I do want to say pivotal. Yep. Um, yeah. That, that, that's kind of sexual, too. Um uh, primary? The original. Original. That's <laughs> the term we're gonna go with. The original. The OG. Yep. Sponsors. Uh that would be um uh Beth Eastland and <laughs> Yeah. Courtney Daly.
0: Uh yeah, Case Daly Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives uh sponsoring the podcast. We've got our dealers. You can find Dan and Kyle's knives at Knife Center. And you can find Dan's knives at The Cook Station, Blade HQ, Ridge Runner, and Asheville Crafted Edge. And you can find Kyle's knives at Northside Cutlery. And you can find my knife making tools at Phoenix Abrasives, Housemade.us, and uh, Jant's Knife Supply for the book. Uh, also, USA. Knife maker knife for maker. the file book. Look at you! Yeah, I've been uh, really happy with uh, all the support and stuff from the book. Uh, I sold the first hundred and fifty, and just got a hundred and fifty in the printed again. So, yeah, can't believe how quickly I went through the the first hundred and fifty books.
1: Man, it's it's a good book on a technique that hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but really. It's a solid way to do a little value added. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Using the, you don't have to do the patterns in their entirety. Just doing a little bit of something just gives it a little bit of pizzazz, a little bit of specialness that no production knife is going to have on it.
1: And if you absolutely positively through some either psychological or physical deformity, have to put jimping on your blade file work, is a damn sexy way to do it. <laughs> like, file work is a way to put jimping on a blade and not be wrong. Yeah. Just saying. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Guild Watch, Knife shows.
0: Yeah. So for Guild Watch and Knife Shows, we've got the Great Lakes Run Rendesves. I always like to say rendezvous. Uh, Sean Mullenbelt is doing a get-together at his uh, knife shop. In Wayland, Michigan, on Saturday, July 22nd, Jay Nielsen, Bill Binky, John Nagel, Josh Patterson, Ryan Broadbeck, all sorts of people are going to be there. Those are the the headliner people. Those are some big names. Yeah, and I believe um, he's got a barbecue truck and a whole bunch of stuff there. There's going to be some other vendors and stuff. I Ooh. won't be able to make it. Uh, but over in Michigan, it'll be a good time if you're in the Midwest area and can make it there. Um, that'll be a good one for you to go to.
1: So definitely check it out. And we've got the Midwest Knife Makers Guild hammer in and August 18th through the 19th. And yeah, I'm not Mankato. I'm, I'm not pronouncing that Mankato. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that, yep. that's the way it looked. I, yep, I should have given that a try. <laughs> Mankato, Minnesota. There you go. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. The, I, I, bl- I forget who is the person off the top of my head, but uh, they got lots of good makers coming. I should have written it in there. I will have more information on the next show. After that one, it's the Twin Cities Knife Show, September 29th through the 30th in Bloomington, Minnesota. Uh, it's sponsored by the Midwest Knife Makers Guild. Uh, they're doing their own show way up in the north the first show that they did last year was a really good show. Lots of people said they had really good attendance for it being a first show and lots of good relationships were formed at that show, which is the reason I think you should go to most knife shows. And then uh, October 13th and 14th in salt Lake city, we have blade show West. So Woo-hoo! Dan culinary
1: blade show be there, kitchen right? knife blade show. I have been there the last five years. This year, Dogwood will be there, but I may not be there. I've got a I've got a, 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 can't, uh, a family conflict that we're trying to work around. Hmm. Um, so Dogwood will be there, but I may not be able to make that that show this year. Hmm. Gotcha. Um, yeah, cool. I promise you, no one's more disappointed than I am. <laughs> gotcha.
0: Shout outs and gear talk.
1: Yeah. So we've got the respirator roundup. Uh, that's a new section that uh, that I'm doing, and it is not just a way for me to write off the cost of trying out a bunch of new respirators, uh, and that will be later in the show. little tease. I don't know if you all know this or not. Uh, my youngest son, Alex, is starting to uh, study marketing, and uh, this is just one of the little things that I've picked up is you, know, you throw the nugget out there, you, you give them a little something that they want, and then you force them to, to listen to the rest of the show to find it.
0: <laughs> gotcha. I wanted to give a shout out to Nanohone. Um, Hap Stanley is doing a great job with doing some sharpening stuff there. I've pretty much bought into most of the stuff he's doing over there. I got some aluminum plates and his stone stage system uh, also has the, I believe it calls it a pond. So it's like a big aluminum yeah. uh, machined plate. Uh, that has this really wonderful neoprene non-slip o-ring material put in the bottom so it doesn't slip when you are moving the stone on there and then the stage goes on top and then these aluminum plates you can they pile it on that top piece and you can affix any stone that you want so i got some arkansas stones from my my boy nick at rh Prada. he uh got me a uh, Hard white Arkansas stone, a black surgical one, and a translucent one. So, pretty excited for that. I was able to put the double sided adhesive on there on those aluminum plates. uh, So, you can even use those stones down till they're just really, really thin, like pretty much uh, where they would definitely break if you were to try to use them in the other ways. And then I mounted some of my uh, vitrified stones. Uh, to those aluminum plates, so I can pop them on and off the the holder really easily. So, do
1: you like the hard white ones?
0: The uh, they work pretty good for uh, some of your lower lower end steels. I mainly use my vitrified stones um, for anything above one fifty four cm. Mm-hmm.
1: So the hard white ones are good, but they just they don't work at a higher level.
0: Yeah, I've got one of the nano hone flattening uh, plates. I think it's the NL eight, the little circular pucks um, to flatten the stone. And that thing works super great to re-expose some of those edges and stuff. Hap's doing a lot of really cool stuff there. Want to try to get him on to talk about some of his stuff soon.
1: So, so you like to, to expose the hard white one. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You want, you want to get the, you want to have the sharp surfaces there. All right. (laughs) Uh, and then a, a special <laughs> shout out to the E set supply Ed soul. Uh, he got me some new plates for my Nielsen disc system. He just bought some plates for his nine inch disc sander, uh, with the magnetic, uh, plate system out of Canada. I told him, uh, if he gets it, uh, order me a couple extra plates and I'd pay him back. So. Uh Thanks for getting me that, Ed, and being an all-around yeah. good guy. So
1: Yeah, we got to have a word with Ed. And by we, I mean me. You got, like, high-speed aluminum plates. I got stickers. Now, don't get no. me wrong. I paid They're for awesome the They're awesome stickers. I love these. Oh, you paid for yours? Yeah, I paid Never for mind. my
0: plates. And I didn't get any stickers.
1: Oh, you didn't get one like this? No. No, because I got a bunch of them. You want me to send you one?
0: <laughs> no, Ed said he was going to send me some, so.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, he handed me yeah, the they, plates, but he didn't hand me any stickers.
1: Yeah. My, man, they went on my uh, my Stanley water cups that I was using around Blade Show. Okay. That are now, like, they've almost taken the place of my grind room door for where my stickers go. The little, uh, the little Ed Soul stickers are perfect for filling in those blank spots.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I use some of uh, Dave, uh, our friend, One-Legged coot. Um, yeah. He has uh, some that are for his union and it says safety. Dave says you're awesome.
1: <laughs> oh, so. oh, now I'm having a tantrum. <laughs> I, oh, 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 somebody is getting a message tomorrow. Cause I did not get a sticker.
0: Uh, they're pretty funny. It's got his face with a big smile on it. So uh, I, pretty funny. I
1: mean, on one hand, I shouldn't be too grumpy cause he helped run down some wiring diagrams for me, but uh, my feeling is hurt. <laughs> I, I did not get a one-legged, one-legged coot sticker. Yeah. Uh,
0: and then my last shout out is to Michael, a.k.a. Grumpy Grunt.
1: Whoa, 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 hey, 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 hey. No, 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 no. Grumpy Grunt is our shout out. Okay. Our I shout out. He might be throwing you some love right now, but Grumpy's my boy, too. Yeah. So this is an our shout All out. Right.
0: Well, I wanted to shout him out. Uh, he's been showing my pocket Bushcrafter quite a bit of love on his social media lately, and uh, glad he's liking it. Uh, so much. He said he's been carrying it a bunch and using it a bunch. Re- I'm really glad that uh, that knife ended up into somebody's hands that loves it as much as he does.
1: Grumpy is good people, mm-hmm. and I like his reviews because it's an actual re- review, not just a an unboxing beauty pageant. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's he's not afraid to call people out, but he's also willing to. He finds that line between if there's an issue, he's going to say it, but he also is a generally positive guy that, that finds the good in everybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome hanging with him at blade show and got to have uh, a couple of beers with him down in the pit.
1: So that was good too. He is legitimately good people.
0: Yeah. Uh, You got any more shout outs? Or are you going into your respirator?
1: respirator roundup roundup yeah see it, you know it kind of rolls off the tongue doesn't it <laughs> yeah no they, 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 there's a there's a literary term for that alliteration uh, yeah got me. i don't know yeah you know this is what happens when you drop out of school after the third year <laughs> that'd be high school
0: <laughs> gotcha we still love you dan
1: so I have been rocking the, the 3M 7000 series full face for probably 10 years. Um, it was the Mac Daddy when I got it. I'm a big fan of a, a full face. I, used to, I wear glasses. I used to do a half face, but somehow stuff always just found the angle to come under my glasses. So I'm a big fan of a full face. Me too the 3m it's heavy and the the head straps i was probably replacing those every 6 months if not every 4 months and it's 75 bucks a pop it wasn't long before i could have just bought a whole new mask so mine finally it, it's worn out the rubbers they, it's just done um and it happened to be done at the same time the local fire inspector was coming by to do my inspection, and for a long time they were using the same 3M mask that I was. So I was hoping maybe, like some head straps, they would—they uh, were DXing them before they were completely shot. Um, but they don't even use them anymore, which was kind of my moment of okay, let's let's go back out. It's been ten years; there has probably been some changes, so. I right now I'm looking at, at three respirators. One is one that the fire chief and inspector recommended, and then two are it. One's a hundred dollars, and one I got for thirty bucks. We are going to start with the parcel pt L P T one hundred. It was a hundred dollars on on uh, Amazon. It is marked as impact resistant. I am working on getting the exact qualification for that. As several of our listeners have pointed out to me and guys, I appreciate it. uh, Giving me a little rundown on how those are rated and what some of the minimum safety standards you want. I will be following up on Right now, everything I can find in their literature just says impact resistance so in my final review, I'll be following up on making sure that it is it is appropriately impact resistant. I'll go ahead and say it is surprisingly light it's really comfortable um, i it gets a good seal uh the sight lines are really good it does everybody know that's a knife maker being able to see. Kind of that low angle right at the bottom can be a little tricky, and it's got really good sight lines. The face shield has got a distinct curve to it, so I've gotten a little bit of refraction in that curve, which has been, it hadn't been bad, but it was enough that I felt like I should say something, Um, especially if one side is clean and one side is dirty, you kind of pick up that curvature of the face mask and your sight lines and it can be a little off-putting not a huge deal in long term i may not care but like i said i noticed it so i felt like i should say something Uh, a downside is it does not accept uh 40 millimeter filters so guys that are uh that want to use like military surplus and that sort of thing filters right now i can't find a way to get it to fit them Um, out of the box, it takes the, the round 80 millimeter filters, uh, the proprietary filter that came with it has been really impressive. I've just used it for two weeks now, but I like them. Good news is it is really easy to bypass the connection for the 80 millimeter filter. I don't know. I guess maybe we'll try to figure out a way for me to do a a video through knife perspective, but it is, it. It's does not take a lot of creativity to get that 80 millimeter uh, filter adapter off. And then it's a a three lug bayonet that takes the the standard 3M uh, filters. Nice. Um, Right now, the 80 millimeter are doing great. So I'm going to use those filters until they start to clog. And then I'll switch out and see how the 3M filters do on this mask. My initial thoughts are it's absolutely worth the 100 bucks. The head strap on it is a 5-point strap. Uh it's silicone, it's really comfortable. Uh, they include in the box some extra connectors which I appreciate. I am assuming that's because they either wear out or they get lost. It's a general note whenever a company adds a consumable in the box, I appreciate it. So they get a little, a little extra plus for that.
0: Nice.
1: We're gonna see how this one goes. I'm gonna use this one for a while and then like I said, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do two other masks in this initial roundup. I'm thinking I wanna do kind of a six or eight month test, kind of an an initial take on each mask, and then I'll use each one for a couple of months. Okay. and see how they do. Um, so my initial thoughts are: for a hundred bucks, it's it's a good bang for the buck. We'll see how it does in a couple of months after it's uh, it's been put through its paces.
0: Yeah, cool. I'm excited to hear what uh, what you come up with because I've used the the six thousand series for a long time, and um, for a while there, I was having it was like every two two to three weeks, my uh, strap was breaking. And I don't know what happened, but I haven't broke or I broke one just before blade, but I've always, or uh, now that they break so much, I have two uh, on the shelf that are ready to
1: go. So do you have the the six strap or the five strap? It's four. Four. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I've got the, the 7,000 series has the six strap and they were getting really hard to find. And I don't know what changed. My first one lasted literally years. And by the time I'd gotten frustrated, I was with you every couple of months. The straps were breaking on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they changed, but I'm I'm disappointed in 3M. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't know why they can't make that uh, be more robust.
1: So uh, one of the respirators I'm going to be reviewing, it's on the higher end. But they use... Uh, mesh fabric around it. So it's a silicone core with fabric around it. And there's firefighters that are using them for ex- want to be careful on how long they've been using them. Cause I don't know if they're supposed to or what, but they have gotten really phenomenal lifespan out of their head straps and they use a, a mesh center section. So it breathes a little bit. Okay which is a, a really cool feature. Um, yeah.
0: I haven't usually had a problem like, with the back of my head being hot. It's usually the, yeah. all the weight of those big filters and stuff on the front
1: man. And down here in South Carolina, especially if I'm grinding and I've got the kiln going every so often, I have to step out of the, the grind room and break my seal and just pour the sweat out of my mask.
0: Yeah. That sounds and awesome. Then put it back on. I, I don't know why yeah. you want to live there all the time.
1: Sundresses <laughs> eight to nine months of sundress season is is the single greatest reason to live in Carolinas, yeah all right um I guess at this point we should i don't know you know part of me says, get into the interview, part of me says that our guests are clearly hanging riveted on on every word that we're speaking tonight,
0: yeah. Yeah, how about we introduce the guest?
1: Okay, if we must. So tonight's guest is—it's a little different approach. I don't, no, I don't think. I know we haven't gone in this direction yet, and part of it is some of the issues that I've had, and some of our uh, some of our listeners have started to have some issues. So it was a little bit fortuitous. We fortuitous. We've uh, we've got a friend in common. And when I was reaching out to my, my buddy Hudson with uh with some issues, as so often is the case, Hudson knows a guy, and I, you know, I, I was going to string this along, but I, I can only go so far. So tonight's uh, tonight's guest runs a credit card processing service. So when I had a uh, when I had some issues. I started finding out you know what what are some options? what are some new directions we can go? what are some people that can help? And I got introduced to Greg, and I am really glad to find out that there are some options out there, and I'm working on finding a new solution that'll fit me better. and I suspect at least two of the five listeners that constantly listen to this show will probably find this pretty helpful. So uh, welcome to the show tonight, Greg. how you doing?
2: Hey, I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh oh, thanks for coming on. This is um this is one of those subjects especially for guys like me that are you know, I'm a good maker, but this starts to get into the weeds of stuff that I don't really understand and it might be voodoo or magic. So I uh I actually very much appreciate you coming on tonight and uh, shining a little light on
2: things for us. Well, I'm glad to be here. I would say that a lot of people who are in this business don't necessarily completely understand exactly how it works. There's a lot of nuances to it. Um, it takes, it takes years, um, to kind of learn your way around and learn what's, be able to, to filter facts from fiction. Um, you get told a lot of things by, by people who are mentors and, or people who are trying to tell you stuff. But in a lot of cases, people just want you to go out and sell something. And sometimes the best way to sell something is not to tell the complete truth. So um, we're going to try not to do that tonight. We're going to try to educate so people can use knowledge to their benefit and everybody can get a good deal. I appreciate Thanks. that. But before we get into the the actual meat and
1: potatoes, as everybody knows, we've got the, the get to know you section. So we're going to start nice and easy. Uh, uh, where'd you grow up?
2: So, where did I grow up? So, I, I lived in a lot of places. My dad was a research chemist for Dupont. Um, so, well, look at the big brain on Greg. Yeah, well, <laughs> my dad had a big brain. But um, um, so, grew uh, born in Tennessee, moved to North Carolina. Actually, moved to Delaware, then to North Carolina, back to Delaware, back to North Carolina. And then in the fourth grade, um, my dad got an international assignment and we moved to um, The Hague in the Netherlands. Um, So I had the pleasure of getting to grow up internationally until I entered high school. And in ninth grade, um, we moved to Camden, South Carolina. There was a big DuPont plant there. Um, So... You know, when people ask me where I grew up, my formative years, so middle school, elementary into elementary middle school were overseas in Holland. And then I lived in Camden, the middle of South Carolina for my high school years and went on to college and have lived in South Carolina ever since. Well, with that
1: background, that's going to make this an interesting question. Yeah. What was the first knife you had?
2: so my first the first knife i ever remember having and i'm sure that it was my first knife but it's a swiss army knife and you know my dad having traveled internationally a lot and subsequently when i went to college my parents actually moved to switzerland uh, but my dad always had done a lot of business in switzerland there was a i guess there was a, just a lot of work for him there so i still remember saying that's the real kind that's the victorinox blade <laughs> You know, so every time I now look at a Swiss Army knife, I always open it up to see. Yeah, I like to see the little Victorinox blade symbol and yeah. things like that. And I still have quite a few Swiss Army knives stuck in drawers here and there around the house. So it's a good it's a good childhood memory. So I don't think I have my first one that way anymore. Yeah, I, I've
1: I've come to be a little suspicious of people that still have their first knife, uh, only because. Were you really a kid and how much did you really use it if you still
2: have it? Well, there's no way it would open. I mean, you know, <laughs> just from the gunk inside of it.
1: The The asterisk okay. next to that is I have the first knife I was given, but that's because I lost it for about 25 years and then found it again.
2: All right. Right on.
0: Yeah, I did. a. I have a similar one where I uh I lost it for about 15 years and. I have no idea how it showed back up in my tackle box. I lost it out of my tackle box, went through my tackle box like a thousand times looking for it, went back to the lake where we were fishing and couldn't find it. And then when I was retiring that tackle box, when I got a new one for Father's Day, lo and behold, there it was sitting in the tackle box.
1: I mean, that is that's clearly magic. I don't understand why you're at all confused about that.
2: (laughs) So.
0: Another question we like to ask is, do you have any pets?
2: I have currently have two Springer Spaniels. So nice. they keep us pretty busy. My Springer Spaniel, most of them are kind of hyper. Mine are pretty laid back. So yeah. um, good dogs. They love you. You know, they like to, they, they, they can't get close enough to you. They really like their people. So,
0: yeah, I've got a Border Collie uh, Whippet Mix. And he's smart like a border collie, but lazy like a greyhound, which is awesome. Uh, <laughs> so he doesn't get himself into trouble, but he's still pretty smart. And then we have a, a yellow lab uh, pit mix that's wants to to cuddle and everything all the time. So
2: pretty cute. Yeah. Dogs are the best.
0: And uh, the other question that we like to ask is, uh, how did you meet your wife and where does it fall on the Dan-Kyle scale where... Dan picked his wife up at a wake and I picked my, or found my wife on e-Harmony. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, so um, my uh, wife, it was, a, it was arranged by mutual friends that my wife and I be at the same place one evening back in 2005. I think, I think I'm right about that. Um, So we met that night and then we realized, um, and that was in Greenville, South Carolina. And we realized that our, that our parents lived 10 miles apart from each other in um, Virginia, right outside of Charlottesville. So, um, you know, not a, not an unusual way to meet, but uh, further weird thing about that is not only did our parents live that close together, but all of our um, aunts and uncles and all of our extended family all lived in Bozeman, Montana. So we just automatically had a, Tremendous amount in common immediately when we met by just where our families live and things like that. So, so eventually,
1: when he gets around to admitting that they're distant cousins, I'm going to say that this clearly falls on the the Dan side. Well, of I the would scale. say that
2: we decided not to have children. No, I'm just, <laughs> just <kidding. laughs>
1: nice man. Everything got tense for just one second. I got to give you, you credit on your second. delivery right there. <laughs> I'm still claiming uh, this one is mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the setup. It's always a good one. Yeah. So, how did you uh how did you get into we'll get into what credit card processing is, but how did you how did you get into this?
2: So, I certainly wasn't looking for it. Um, you know, back in 2008, which kind of the last you know, big I guess national recession that we had. Here in uh in the states um i had worked for a company before but then gone to the competition then got recruited back to this company and then lo and behold six or seven months later 2008 hits and they started to let people go so i was invited to leave um and it wasn't a terrible situation they treated me like i had never left but it, but i had to leave anyway just from the optics of it all so i had to find something to do with my time and had a had a friend had had a friend who said, "Hey, I know this guy who's starting this credit card processing company, and why don't you go talk to him?" So I did, and you know, it's one of those things where I, I didn't have anything else to do, and it was the kind of eat, eat what you kill sort of business. You know, you, you can yeah, anybody can get hired. There are very few barriers to entry here. There's no commitment on whoever's hiring you part. I mean, you go produce, then you earn some income. <laughs> You're either going to make money or starve. Still the way it is. Um, so, but I thought I could at least do that as a bridge while I looked for something else. And, uh, you know, it just sort of worked out over time. There's a lot of other extenuating circumstances that I won't get into that involve an ex wife and two children from that marriage. But, you know, at the end of the day, the schedule of this job really worked to my benefit for what my life was like at that time. So, and my wife has a great job. So I was able to stick with it long enough to sort of make it over the bridge of it being not very much money at all to, hey, we're making ends meet to kind of looking, you know, down the tunnel and seeing a light. And, you know, it's become a it's become a good life for me. So um, I'm happy that I'm doing it. I get to meet different people from different walks of life every day who do different interesting things. You know, I never thought that I'd be on a uh, custom knife-making podcast, but here I am, living the dream. So, <laughs> man, <laughs> the key, We get
0: told that from, from a lot of our guests. I'm
2: sure that that is the most, you know, repeated line on this show. Well, the key to happiness is keeping the bar low. That's <laughs> – I agree. But, um, you know, it, the thing that I like most about – what I realized, what I like most about my job. And it took a while to get here. But when I make a sale, it's almost always a win-win situation for the merchant and then and me. I'm gaining a client, which of course is extra income for me. I, it's only small bites that and we'll talk about this, I'm sure a little bit later. You know, my portion of what I get out of Every deal is just a little small amount. But, you know, if you treat somebody right, that small amount for the rest of my life or as long as that merchant's in business, you know, that turns into quite a bit. And What's a lot of work up front is not a lot of work to maintain. You just have to answer the phone when somebody calls and has a question um, and treat them right and take care of the problems if they ever, if any problems ever arise. And they do. And I, and we take care of them. If, a, if enough streams come together, they make a river. That's, that's that's very i'm going to use that well, please do
1: <laughs> that's the okay. one intelligent thing i'm going to say per podcast i'm i'm sorry to get it uh out of the way here yeah. early but pretty early it's pretty early
0: insightful dan yeah he like he likes river metaphors yeah
1: well, river flows through it uh still waters run deep yeah no that's that that That's all I got.
0: (laughs) Bird's got to fly. Fish has got to swim.
1: I got to be me. River's got to flow.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: (laughs) and just like that, we added a whole new line to the mantra. (laughs) There we go. All right. So this is all voodoo to me. I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around it. So I might need you to start with at like the C-A-T equals cat level. Right. But how does one, or should I say, when somebody says processing a credit
2: card, w- yep. w- what's happening? So processing a credit card, if I'm, well, I guess whatever I answer is the answer, right? So you are the subject matter expert tonight. Yeah. To me, processing a credit card is taking the data on that credit card, which is a 16-digit number for Visa and MasterCard, plus a three-digit code on the back, plus... You know, plus other information that may be in the chip. But it's it's using that information typically through a card reader, but sometimes hand keyed through a computer or even at a card reader or read through a phone where somebody else hand keys it. But it's taking that information and sending it to the bank that issues the card and getting an authorization code, which then goes back to the device that the card was processed on to get an authorization code. To complete a sale. I mean it's the, think of a circle. I mean it's starting in one place to go get information at 180 degrees and then it's coming back the other 180 degrees with the answer. You know, it's either it's either you know, a card is either authorized for a ten dollar sale or it's declined for a ten dollar sale, but that is what credit card processing is. It's going out to, to, to say That authorization code says, yes, this cardholder, the person that holds this card can process its transaction. We will give you the merchant this $10, and you don't have to worry about collecting it from the cardholder. That deal is done.
1: And a processing company, I assume, they make that that series of actions happen in a secure way. Is that what makes them a processing company?
2: That is correct. We we offer tools whether it be either online tools or hardware that make those transactions happen um <laughs> i could get way into this but it's 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 a lot
1: yeah no i know i, I i'm uh it's it's kind of like non knife people if they get me started on knives frequently they regret it
2: right right uh
1: so I was just kind of debating on how deep we w- into the weeds we wanted to go on this, but I, I think
2: I, for that, I think there's other things that people will find more interesting. Honestly,
1: so I think one of those things is where do the uh, why are the processing fees what they are, and where does that money go?
2: Okay, so that is a great question. That's what everybody wants to know. So for, first of all, there are fees for exactly. What I just said, you know, the the issuing bank is promising a merchant that they are going to make good on the fiat the the dollar amount that was processed based on the authorization code. So the merchant no longer has to worry about collecting it from the cardholder. So you know, if the cardholder had given you a check and the check had gone bad, then you've got to go through all sorts of steps to. Get money from the person because they gave you a bad check. If they gave you a counterfeit bill, you know, and, and then you took it to the bank and the bank said, Well, this bill's no good. This is counterfeit, then you're just out that whatever the denomination of the bill was. Somebody gave you cash and you know, your assistant stole it, you know, well, you're gonna be out that money. So I understand that fees are a pain point. I completely get it. Fees should never be too high. Fees should always be fair amount for the transaction um but i but i do think that the fees are legitimate based on the fact that people are getting guaranteed money there's no way that you can lose your deposit your your cash doesn't go anywhere you know it can't get stolen it goes straight from your credit card machine into your bank um that's a pretty efficient way to do business so for a the right fee and a fair fee. Um, it's a pretty fair process. So, when you ask where do the processing fees go, there's a lot of hands in this pot. Actually, there's some of the fees go to Visa and Mastercard. A very, very small percentage. Visa and Mastercard do very little, actually. But they do the govern They the card brands do the governing of of the payment card industry. So they take a little bit of amount for every transaction. And and they do a lot of advertising. So, I mean, you can't really go anywhere without seeing. I bet you see a Visa logo every day. I bet you see a MasterCard logo every day. And they take a piece of every transaction in the world, like two cents. Every time a card is swiped. uh, Just think about that. This sounds like office space. Well, it's exactly like office space. (laughs) They're, they're They're taking a very, very small percentage, like a percentage of a percent and they're taking two cents per transaction. Biggest part of the fee, so if you take out your wallet and you look at the cards that are in your wallet, you know maybe you've got uh, a city card or a Capital One card, or maybe you've got your local bank. People that issue the cards, the, the institution that issues the cards, the issuing bank, they are taking at least 90%, if not 95%, of the fee. And they're taking that in something that's called interchange and interchange is actually set. That's this is the thing that Visa and MasterCard does is they set interchange fees for Visa, MasterCard discover not American express. Um, and the reason that banks want to give out credit cards is because they're not making a ton of money from people that pay their cards late and in the interest. Most of the money that, that banks make from issuing credit cards is because merchants are accepting them. And those Mm -hmm. fees run, and depending on what kind of card it is, and this is a little bit in the weeds too, but it's, this is an important part of this process, depending on what kind of card it is and how it's processed dictates what the interchange fee is. And there's a matrix and it's going to go anywhere from, there's a percentage associated with the interchange as well as the fixed fee. And it ranges anywhere from 0.05% and 22 cents on some debit cards to just below 3% and 10 cents on some corporate credit cards. And whether and if, a, like if, a car, if a card is redeemed by a merchant in person through a machine using the chip, then the wholesale cost slash interchange, it's an interchangeable term, is going to go down because the bank is going to view that transaction as more secure. Mm -hmm. If something is hand-keyed and it's a corporate card where maybe there's like 10 cards tied to that card number and it's not necessarily the person that holds the card that's paying the bill, you know, those are the riskier cards. Those are riskier transactions. They're riskier because there's less control by the person that holds the purse strings and there's more chance of fraud because the card is hand-keyed And there's no checks like checking the signature on the back or looking at somebody's ID, something that nobody ever does. But typically if somebody's holding a card, it's theirs. There's not a whole lot of fraud anymore where people are walking around because chip cards have done away with a lot of stolen cards being processed in person. Mm -hmm. The most of the fraud is done by internet phishing where people just try the 16-digit codes till something works, then they sell it and, Use it till somebody figures it out and turns the card off.
1: Then somebody in Kuala Lumpur buys $5,000 worth of computer equipment. That's Don't right. ask how I know. I remember, so it, so I,
0: remember I remember. in college one time there was a, like on Facebook, uh, a girl put like so excited for my first credit card. And she like had a picture and then somebody commented, uh, sweet, what does the back look like? And then, like, in, <laughs> yeah. like, five minutes, she had hit her, like,
2: $7,000 limit on yeah, the credit card. Yeah, I, I hope that people have gotten smarter. <laughs> <laughs> so. So, so on top of Interchange, so on top of what Visa and MasterCard and all that, then we have to put a processing fee. But the whole processing fee, even though I'm the processor, doesn't come to me. We have deals with um with underwriting banks and supporting banks. That, um you know they're funding our deals, so so they get a portion of what we get, so and do you have proprietary
1: hardware that you use to run the transactions, or does it does it matter whose hardware somebody's using?
2: We do not have proprietary hardware. We are using hardware that we know is PCI compliant PCI simply stands for payment card industry, All right. so we want to make sure that we're using equipment that you know, right now, I mean, 10 years ago, it, w- it was a big thing because it was changing from the magnetic stripe that we kind of all grew up with to now it's the the chip.
0: Or even the tapping right yeah. now that it like instantly reads the chip.
2: Yeah, NFC called near field communication to be able to tap. So either using your phone or using the chip to tap, NFC is pretty cool. So all those machines do some great things. And one of the the, the main thing that they all do is, once that's tapped or chipped, a lot of these new machines, it immediately gives the credit card, or gives that transaction a one-time use token. So anything that's in the machine is no longer your credit card number. It mm-hmm. goes out to the processor and it comes back. So if there ever was any kind of security breach, this has done away with a lot of those. You know, you in the past, you've read about like Target or some major box retailer has some kind of data breach, but now... Those data breaches would wouldn't give you anything that's usable.
1: It's like a one-time key encryption.
2: That's exactly right. That's
1: right. Um, so theoretically, if I say had uh, a Square card reader, yep, I could still I could still do business through y'all, or would I need? You cannot.
2: Okay, so that that makes your question. Yeah. So Square. So we can talk about Square in a minute, but we have equipment that we sell that we can integrate with. But having a Square card reader, like Square is its own company, right? And Square is Square's has a completely different business model than my company does. Square is what we call an aggregator, so anybody can go to Square. I can go to my website right now and sign up, and I can put my name and my business name, and say, and this is my uh, checking account number and my routing number, and I and I bought a Square reader at Walmart. And you know, I guess you put the serial number in. Who knows? Or you, I guess you, once you log into the to the app, yeah, then they pairs. know where to route your money. Yep. Yeah. But um, Square doesn't do any kind of background check. They don't check out your business. They don't run a, a credit check on you. They don't check out your EIN number. So you, it aggregator takes a bunch of merchants, puts them all under the same account. And, you know, which is great if you're selling hot dogs at five bucks a pop and you're using Square and, you know, you're just cruising along every day selling hot dogs. So what happens is, say one day somebody comes in and says, hey, I want to buy your hot dog cart from you and you have a three thousand dollar sale. What that does is that throws up a red flag. And that's when Square says all right, this guy's been selling hot dogs. We don't know anything about him, but there's been a whole lot of consistency. But today we have something that's incredibly inconsistent and we don't know anything about this guy. So what we're going to do is we're going to put a hold on this funds so they can give us all this information we're about to send them. But they're not going to call you. They're going to send you some kind of, or you're probably going to call them in three or four days and go, where's my $3,000? But they might send you some kind of Email. I don't really know how Square does it, but I just know that once they hold your money, you've got to jump through hoops to answer all sorts of questions.
1: A little something called the Blade Show bump when uh, you do six months worth of business in three days.
2: That's right.
1: Don't ask me how I know. But there's a reason Greg and I have started talking.
2: Right. And that's what's going to happen to anybody. And, And I don't think Square is doing anything wrong there. But that's the downfall of using an aggregator. You know, if, if you're going to have moments in your, in your business cycle that are out of the ordinary, gee, wouldn't it be nice to be able to have somebody to call and say, hey, we're about to go to the Blade Show. There's going to be extra activity. Please be aware of that.
1: and uh, More importantly, when you call actually, well, first of all, actually having a phone number to
2: call and then. Right. The, Somebody the problem, to answer. Yeah. And the other challenge with these aggregating companies is you don't have a dedicated person. So there's not anybody that's going to know you, it, which isn't necessarily, listen, if you're selling hot dogs, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're running a business where two or three times a year is when you get 80% of your income, and this is always going to be a problem because, you know, just because of the nature of the way it works, then, you know, you need to know. The purpose then, of having this podcast is just so everybody out there is aware that there's other ways to process credit cards. And there may be, listen, there may be a couple additional costs there. For some people, it may end up costing a lot less. It's really just going to all depend on on, the, on volume.
1: The other issue some of uh, some guys have run into is they get a spike in sales that gets some attention, and in the process of, hey, uh, who are you and what do you do? Oh, wait, you sell something that is contrary to our 32-page rules and limits, and all of a sudden we're now looking at a nine-month battle to get your funds
2: back. Right. It's an industry risk and prohibited list of different kind of MCC codes, or, you know, what do you sell? Which
1: actually – this leads perfectly into the the next question I had is why do some companies limit transactions specifically with legal items
2: so it's just a matter of it's a matter of risk and a matter of i'm not really quite sure why there are some companies that and I'm getting this from you i'm not I, I actually went and asked our risk department about knives specifically and I, we we don't have anything prohibiting us setting up a company that sells knives and I'll get into this a little bit further in a minute. Um, but it's just because it's a weapon. And I think that people are just trying to avoid bad press. So, you know, any kind of, I mean, on the, I'll, on the prohibited list, you know, there's a, uh, y'all can't
1: see it cause you've got a, you don't have the yeah. camera, but uh, Greg's holding about a two or three page uh, list
2: two or three page list and you know the funny thing is is that gun dealers aren't even on as prohibited <laughs> it, but gun dealers are on as very restricted and gun dealers have to give you know our my company we probably have about a hundred gun dealers that we deal with but there's so much paperwork that they have to give us like their ffl license and I'm not even, I I can't even run through it, but there's a tremendous amount of paperwork that's required to be able to show that they're complying with all the laws. And I, and my best guess is, is that I don't think that the knife industry has that. I I, I can't imagine it wouldn't. I mean, because you're ranging from, I mean, hunting gear, You mean, from it's, it's a hobby, but it's a hobby that can be used as a weapon. So I think that you all are just in kind of a weird space And once again, this is my opinion, but I think you can overcome. Well, I know you can, but I think that going with an aggregator as your credit card processor, while it may be the easiest choice, I think people that choose to do that are going to find themselves with some hiccups from time to time of not being funded.
1: You're running under the radar. As long as you're not doing enough business to ever – come to anybody's attention. And as long as you don't have any spikes, you could probably get away with it. right? But I've run into, and some of them will say, oh no, as long as it's kitchen knives, you're fine.
2: What's the difference?
1: Oh, wait, we looked at your website and there's a non kitchen knife that you sell. So your whole company's blacklisted. Facebook does that. Instagram does that. I've heard
0: of PayPal. I know of PayPal. Having people having problems with PayPal, just, one day they audit and say we don't like what you're selling, and now we're going to hold all the money you have in PayPal, and we're going to pull some of the money back that uh, were your last 30 days transactions.
1: Uh, and it and people forget that uh, PayPal and Venmo are a- owned by the same company, so they are. Um, that's going to run both ways on both of those.
2: They absolutely are. And one other thing might be, and one of the reasons, and I don't know this uh, because you haven't said this specifically, but you know, I would imagine that you all in your industry also take a lot of pre-orders for things or you take down payments on things. You uh, know.
1: We recommend not to. A lot of guys here do. We've got a philosophy that we preach to the guys listening to this show that once you take a deposit, you open yourself up to a whole bunch of hassles. Uh, On one end of the scale, the person thinks they own you. The other end is you've got money in limbo. Uh, But
2: yeah. Right. Well, and I would say financially, too, financial institutions hate that. So, I mean, some of the examples of people that are hard to underwrite in our list are anybody with a membership like a gym. Anytime you pay for something that that, that, anytime somebody pays for something that's not in their hands, not tangible, you know, the banks start to get nervous about chargebacks.
1: Yeah. Cause how do you repo that?
2: Yeah. How do you repo that? So, and so that, and that's where merchants may get cut off, you know, because they want to be able to get your banking information because, you know, if you have a thousand dollars worth of obligations out there and they get a copy, if you, and you send them a copy of your bank statements and you've got $500 in the bank, well, that doesn't compute. If, if, if you had a chargeback for every single yeah. obligation you've had out there, you wouldn't be able to cover that dollar amount. So that's where financial institutions start to get a little nervous. So I would say a very good policy um, to be able to be underwritten well would be to say that you're and put on your website that, Hey, you know, all product mm-hmm. ships within, one day of ordering or two to three days of ordering or whatever it is. But I, I I would be wary to put on a website that, Hey, our policy is that you're going to put 50% down and then wait 12 weeks. And then, then we'll contact you to you pay us and we'll ship you the knife. I don't think you're ever going to get underwritten if that's what, if that's what your terms say on your website and they will um, underwriters will go look at your website to make sure that you have terms and conditions and things like that.
1: So the, the hobbyist guys are probably going to fly under the radar, but as you start to build your business and as companies start becoming more aware, it's going to be an issue. Like when you want to make that move from the the hobbyist to the part-time or full-time guy, this is one of the things you're going to need to think about.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, So we've thrown around the term freezing your account. When a processor freezes your account, what, what does that mean? What happens to your money?
2: It sits there waiting for your information. I've, I personally have never had anybody's account get frozen to where it wasn't resolved um, within a week, maybe two weeks. But they're simply waiting for information to be able to satisfy that the bank isn't going to be the one to eat it in the event of a problem. You know, so they're waiting on bank statements. They're waiting on a tax return. They're waiting on, you know, whatever. Or they're waiting on a refund to be issued.
1: But And that can be relatively arbitrary. It's just whatever information somebody somewhere says they need.
2: That's right. Just be ready. To, I would, you know, I would always have three months of bank statements ready. I would always know to keep a certain amount of money in the bank to satisfy. You know, if you do $10,000 worth of sales a month, I would probably figure out a way to have close to that in the bank all the time in in the event that anybody ever asked for financials because they're just being, they just want to be able to cover any potential chargebacks if, if that were a problem. I do think when we're talking about chargebacks that your company, your industry may be a little unique because I think you probably know your customers a little better than most people i think because you've probably had some discussion or met him on a knife show or i mean i don't know this to be true or not but
1: Uh, and that it's a pretty broad uh the listeners especially are pretty broad broad spectrum they're everybody from the hobbyist that's making a couple of knives for the guys at church and a few friends and they personally know um Guys that do custom work that have a long conversation with a customer, uh, to guys like me that are moving to a production model where I'm working through dealers or I'm I'm processing a volume on online. So that's one of the reasons that I've, I'm I'm glad that we've got you on here is it, it's a pretty broad spectrum in the industry. We've got every guy everything from guys like LT Wright who. Processes. I have no idea how many millions a year to the guy that does three thousand dollars a year as a hobbyist in his basement.
2: Right, right.
1: And I'm assuming that some of those guys, maybe the the three thousand dollars a year in your basement, those guys are going to fly under the radar. Um, an aggregator is really going to make the most sense for them.
2: It is absolutely. So I think, what, I, think, I think an aggregator, I think what you're about to ask me, I apologize. Oh, you're um, good. I think what you're going to say is, where's the number? You know, w- at what point does it make sense?
1: I was going to, yeah, what's the threshold to work with somebody like you apart from concern that one day they're going to find out I'm making knives and take
2: my money? Yeah, I think that, I think that if, if you're doing over $5,000 worth a month in volume for most months, I think it makes sense to go find a traditional merchant account person Mm. um, like me who will give you your own account where you can call somebody up and, uh, you know, have a conversation that, I mean, the, the thing that makes me different from an aggregator and even me different from a lot of other people that do credit cards is we, my company and I have a, we have a wholesale relationship with, the the issuing banks, so and we do our own underwriting. So uh, you've said
1: underwriting a couple of times. Uh, yep. Just for those that that aren't familiar with the term, when you say in this instant, when you refer to underwriting, what do you mean?
2: So whenever we set up an account, you know, we have to est- we have to establish that the person's business is legitimate, that they're selling what they say they're going to sell, and then they're financially sound, and that they, you know, don't have any like tax liens, you know, big money problems, bankruptcies, it, because it's kind of
1: insurance.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're, we're funding. So every, you know, every time somebody goes and swipes a credit card or takes a payment over their website, you know, we're funding that based on, we're funding those transactions based on the information that you've given us. So we just doing our due diligence to make sure that, that we're funding somebody that, that's been honest with us. So, so underwriting case, is all it, the checks and balances.
1: It's kind of like your, uh, your risk management. You're looking to see. Exactly right. It's
2: the same thing. Well, risk management and underwriting is, is not exactly the same thing, but they sit beside each other in class.
1: And uh, some companies use third parties. Um, companies like you, you all keep that all in-house. That's Correct. The downside is y'all have to be a little more selective. The upside is it's all in-house. You, you've you got control of what's going on. And when somebody talks to you, there's it's the final word. There's no, eh, let me go check with the
2: underwriters. Right, right. And if a problem arises, you know, Dan, let's say you've been my merchant for 20 years. And, you know, all of a sudden you have a, a you know, a, an issue where, something is going to get held or you had a chargeback or something you know you're going to have the ability to call me and I'm going to have the ability to call risk management and the underwriters to get advice on what to do mm. now, a lot of these people aren't going to have that they don't have that relationship with anybody so it just sort of sits and festers forever we we're able to take care of some problems maybe a little more quickly
1: it- if nothing else, that it's less bureaucracy for people to be able to hide in.
2: That's a good way to put it. That is a fantastic way to put it.
1: So, if the guys that are doing five grand or more a month, just cold hard numbers, somebody like you can probably save them money.
2: That is correct.
1: And then some of the the soft considerations that are things like service, security you're able to to build a business relationship with somebody you you've talked about that. If there's a problem when somebody, when one of your clients calls, they're talking to you.
2: That's right. They start with me. And you can either, I mean, I, I, I take texts and phone calls and emails all the time. And I, you know, even if I'm, even if I go on a vacation, I've just sort of figured out and I'm not somebody that likes to work all the time. Um, but what I have figured out is that the people that I've, you know, I have, I don't know, between three and 500 merchants and, you know, some of them have great relationships with, and some of them have signed up and I've never talked to them again, because that's just not the way they operate. They don't need me anymore, but the ones that do need me, you know, when they do, it's important to them. So, you know, if somebody calls, you know, and I'm at the Grand Canyon, I'll at least text them back say, Hey, listen, I'm at the Grand Canyon. But what people want to know is that they're being heard and that they know somebody can be on it or I can put somebody else on a task for them. And I think that that makes people feel good, safe and secure. And it really keeps people from wasting time or getting all, you know, it's frustrating when you can't. What's frustrating in the world these days is when you can't find the person you need to help you with what you need resolved.
1: Yeah, there's there's nothing that frustrates me more than forty five minutes to get through a system and then be told I can't help you.
2: Right. Yeah, you're exactly.
0: on you're on hold for. I know a guy that was had something with the IRS and he was literally on hold for six and a half hours. He had to like yeah. plug his phone in because his phone was der-
2: like drained. It's incredibly frustrating, and I you know I'm not going to say that that I'm always going to stop what I'm doing, but I do understand the importance. And everybody's got my cell phone. And listen, if I don't answer it, text me. So I'm. I I promise I'll. I'll
1: The single, the single greatest skill I learned in the army. Kyle, what's my uh, my f word limit for the show? Uh, Zero. Zero. Okay. So the single greatest skill that I learned from the army was (laughs) learning. Mm. Yeah. Um. Man, you can run me through all the be on hold. Uh, all that does is that's just a deeper challenge to me. You have now made it a game and I fall back onto my army training. I can jump through hoops all day just to make you more miserable than I
2: am. Right. But, uh, but wouldn't it be nice not to? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, uh,
1: we've talked a little bit, we talked about the underwriting and apparently part of underwriting is. The type of business a company will do. So somebody like PayPal uses broad terms like all knives are weapons. And if you get caught doing business selling knives, they're going to freeze your account until you meet some arbitrary goal of nobody's been killed using one of my tools and then they'll let you have your money.
2: I I think that's fair to say. I mean, I'm I can't speak for PayPal or why they do what they do, but I, you know, I, I think the way that you're saying that seems very fair.
1: But since you, since y'all you are in house, since you do everything in house, you can establish now, this is our
2: policy. We're
1: good with the business you're doing. That,
2: that is currently our policy. I will say, you know, we, I, we've had policies change on a certain thing. And one recent example would be, vape shops and how vape shops use rewards through one of our through one of our issuing banks you know so that that's a recent example of where us having to kind of change the way we did some things i mean currently i we're not going to do knife knife rewards we're not you're not a (laughs) you're not a retail shop that people are coming in every day to pick up points to get a slushy yeah, that,
1: that that's not a model that I have found that would work for me yet.
2: But um, I, I, I can't tell the future and I can't say that, you know, there's never going to be something that may happen with knives. But it doesn't seem to make sense when you can walk into Walmart and buy a kitchen knife yeah. or a hunting knife or, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, I, I think the aggregators are just overcorrecting themselves. and. So for
1: you, as it stands now, if it's legal, y'all are comfortable with somebody, you'll yeah. run the you'll run the charges as long as it's le- it's a legal knife.
2: Absolutely.
1: Uh, and then the advantage of working with a smaller company like y'all is if that changes rather than finding out when your account gets frozen.
2: I'm going to call everybody. And we're going to figure out we'll figure out a way through it. Mm mm-hmm.
1: I I think that is most of all what a lot of guys want to hear, and there are probably a couple of guys that aren't hitting the five thousand dollar threshold, but knowing that their count isn't going to get frozen has got some value too. Sure,
2: Mm. sure. I get you. You know, and I, I, you know, I don't know if that number is exactly right. There's so many factors that go into it. Um, I I think y'all's average ticket's probably pretty high. You're not selling hot dogs. Um, for five dollars a piece, I would imagine most of the things you sell are probably well over a hundred dollars each. So, yeah. um, it, but, generally, we've got guys
1: everywhere from a hundred dollars to fifteen hundred, three thousand dollars a ticket.
2: Yeah, and I, I'll say also that if you have those instances, those hobbyists that don't do that per month, per month, but then go to the shows, you know, go to the three shows yeah. a year you know, and just have three, three months that are great. You know, we've got pro there are programs coming down the pike and they're not all out yet. I think that, that we're very, very close, but you know, much like a gas station, you know, we've always pulled up to a gas station and you've seen a cash and a credit price. Yeah. Well, Visa and MasterCard is now allowing merchants to, you know, kind of have little point of sale machines that kind of does this math for you. And, you know, if you're at a show, I mean, you may be able to pass, you know, in, in the next 45 days, you may be able to pass the processing cost along to the customer by just offering a cash price and a credit price. Um, so it, that may be something for another podcast because we're not quite there yet. But that is something that Visa MasterCard is signing off on. It used to be that surcharging or discounting was not part of Visa and MasterCard's plan, but now it is. But they want to make sure that they're doing it Right. And I want to make sure that my company is doing it right. Well, I'm not going to lose my ability to, to offer this to folks. So I I might go to
1: prison, but I'm not going to prison for you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, like when you walk into a lot of restaurants now, you see credit card processing fill on the tab. It makes me mad a lot of times. I think because a lot of people are, are taking advantage of that. And it's way too high. But I do think the dual price is a model that would work in an industry like yours because it gives people a choice.
1: Well, and especially it shows because. Right. I have had, I've had sales that the 3.5% processing charge made the sale. Like if I could give them a cash price and they saved 3.5% that made the sale.
2: Right. So Uh, this would just apply to all of your material. And if they didn't, you know, if they didn't have the cash or you didn't want to carry the cash and that's just a business decision you make. So, Um,
1: You've used the term chargeback a couple of times. Uh, What is a chargeback and and why can it be an issue for people?
2: A chargeback is when the cardholder calls their issuer once you've sold them something and claims that it's typically, hey, I never received that product. But it could be that's not the price we agreed on. You know, there's some discrepancy. But for the issue of this conversation, let's just say that, you know, Johnny bought a knife from you for $100. He paid you with a credit card. He forgot that he bought a knife from you for $100. So he calls his credit card company the next day and said that, hey, I I didn't get, I didn't authorize this transaction.
1: Uh, Also known as the strip club rule.
2: That's correct. So the credit card company immediately is going to take that $100 back from you and give it to Johnny until you can prove, you know, through a signed sales slip, through a purchase order, through, you know, proof of delivery from UPS, (coughs) that Johnny received that material. And that was a,
1: uh, that used to be a pretty big, especially international scam. Someone would order a knife. It would get delivered. They would then say they never received it. And because things go through customs, yeah. most couriers won't do signature release because it's got to go through customs. Yeah. And guys would sell a knife. It would get delivered. The person receiving it would say they never got, they never received it. And the processing company or the credit card company would pull the money out of their accounts.
2: Yeah. And so you've got to be, you've just got to think, am I going to be able to prove that this person got this? Because if you can't, you know, you're going to lose the chargeback.
1: And that's just a, that's just the price of doing business.
2: You will lose that. You will lose that unless you can prove it now, but if you can prove it, you know, you're not going to lose it, but you know, you prove that by a signature. So in your example of the international company and then not requiring the signature you know you just got to fig- figure out a different way to get that product in their hands that requires a signature or a signed sales order
0: you know what a, what about the chip like
2: swipe yeah so you know now in card present transactions for card present transaction the rule is is that it needs to be run through a machine that accepts the chip is called EMV EMV just stands for euro card MasterCard Visa um, because that's where the chip originated was in Europe. Um, but the chip EMV, it has to be processed using EMV or near field communication tap, either chip or tap, because if you hand key or swipe a card and somebody initiates a transaction and in an in-person transaction, then the merchant is not going to win a charge back either. You've got to have equipment that accepts the most recent technology. That's part of being PCI compliant.
0: So so that's the so if somebody does the chip transaction with the the appropriate hardware. Yeah. It's like when I do a chip transaction it doesn't ask me for a signature or anything anymore. It just asks they if they want a receipt.
2: Yeah, they don't really they don't really require a signature. I would say that if it's over a certain dollar amount, get a signature. I mean figure out what you can live with just because it's something that the customer can give and almost everything you can toggle the, requir- the signature requirement on or off. Um just depends on the settings of whatever device you're using. Um, but in the instance of chargebacks, Visa and Master, they don't really look for a signed receipt anymore because everybody just scribbles on it anyway. I mean, it's typically always a line in the first place. So if you can come up with a receipt with the date and time, which most new equipment keeps everything in the cloud. Yeah. You can just come up with a receipt with where the transaction was processed in person that says it was read by EMV. That's going to be good enough to win the transaction. So
1: face-to-face is pretty much rock solid. It's the the online stuff where you're rolling
2: the dice. It's it's hard. Yeah, it would be very hard for a card holder to scam the system in face-to-face transactions. Um,
1: so especially for you know the the smaller to mid-sized knife makers that are coming up when they're ready to make the move from somebody like Square and they want to look at some some other options uh what are some some red flags what are some and we'll throw a wide net here um irresponsible fees what are some of the the shady things that people will put in uh, agreements that should really indicate that this is not a person you want to do business with.
2: So I would say anybody, well, there's a, <laughs>
1: we, maybe we should go the other direction and say, what are, what are, what are industry standards? What are things that you should look for in an agreement? Would that be a much shorter list?
2: Yeah. Listen, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. um As far as pricing goes, I think, and as i just mentioned i think dual pricing is going to be pretty prevalent in the future other than dual pricing you know one of these things these aggregators do is they give a one size fits all number which is great
1: well cuz they're trying to spread that average over tens they spread of thousands the
2: average over it, but in, in, in the thing is is for a lot of time for a many 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 years square lost a ton of money on a ton of merchants because they were trying to get market share. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, they've kind of set a benchmark for what pricing ought to be. Um, and in some cases it's way too low. In some cases it way, it's way too high. It depends on what business you're in and what you're selling, but it, it's kind of made this arbitrary number. So, but when you said earlier, 3.5%, you know, that is kind of a, very fair number for a card not present transaction these days um but it's not a fair number for a card present transaction so mm-hmm. i would look for somebody that may have the ability to give you one price for cards that are taken present and cards yeah. that are taken not present and not try to meet in the middle for all of them i think that that would be a very good way to and that way you know kind of what you're paying yeah, Because
1: if you're doing shows, the majority of your business is going to be card present. And that's that's, right. that's the lowest risk of fraud. So you should it's be the getting risk number. Of, so number. You
2: should be able to benefit from that.
1: Um, and then um, if so you
2: try to find somebody that would offer you that. But, you know, I can I can find somebody very quickly who can. I can I can offer that to, to anybody listening um, for really, really big merchants. And I don't even I don't even want to define what really, really, really big is. But we could work on a price for like a from interchange up. We can give you wholesale costs and then a small processing fee above that. And that way, no matter how they're taking, they're always taking it. If they're using the best methods to take the transaction, they're always going to find the best price. The price is going to per card by card is going to go from you know one percent on some to three and a half percent on others. Um, But their effective rate will always be driven down <clears throat> by the prevalence of the, of the people that are using debit cards and things for transactions like that. So it typically lowers the price, but you know, on my side, it lowers the risk of pricing something too low. If I'm always working up from cost, I can't lose money. If I can't lose money, but we reserve that for.
1: So, so three, 3.5 is just a, a pretty arbitrary number that, some of the big aggregators use, but if you want to work with somebody like you, you can tailor your business so that it, Correct. it might be a flat fee. It might be a floating fee, right? but there's, there's room to save money rather than a one size fits all.
2: Absolutely. 3.5. People almost always save money with me or they get funded <laughs> <laughs> or they're getting their money, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, almost always. Almost always. It, and if people aren't saving money, then, I mean, it may just be that they need to stay with the aggregator unless there's just some circumstance where they're just not getting funded. But I, I, I can't see an instance where they would pay more from me. Although there are the things that make me more is there are some monthly costs that are fixed that are involved with what we do because because we keep an emergency account on file. That's mm. just that's one of the differences between me and an aggregator is that standard merchant account typically holds a monthly fee and then there's an annual fee involved with with PCI compliance that people have to pay. So I've got to overcome those, which is typically why they come out close, but it's a much different experience and a much better experience for the merchant. And if you're always getting your money, you don't have to worry about it.
0: Yeah. Is that similar or is that fee similar to some of the business checking accounts where if you have over or I think PNC that I use, uh, I think if you have over $1,500 in your uh, bank account for, they don't charge you the monthly like service fee or something like
2: that. I mean, for me, because you don't have a bank account with me, I mean, for us, it would just be based on monthly volume. I mean, if you okay. do a certain monthly volume, and, it, I, sure. and I know that it's going to be every month, Um, but we have our sponsor bank, Charges us a certain amounts. We were just passing that through.
0: Yeah. yeah, I get what you're saying. So if you have a certain number of transactions that could yeah. get washed I can, out,
2: I, yeah, I, just to make the math easy for for my merchant, I can say, yeah, I'm not going to worry about that because I know that the volume is going to eat that up, and that'll the the bucket will still fill up, so to speak. Um, I, but if I'm passing, you know, if I'm getting charged fifteen dollars for somebody to have an accountant file, I'm making that number up, by the way and then they don't do anything that month, then I'm going to get charged $15 because we've got mm-hmm. that account on file. So, you know, I just passed that through until I'm certain that, that that's not the, going to happen.
1: Yeah. Um, this is a, a terribly loaded question full of <laughs> variables and it's, it's, but just as kind of a ballpark, Yep. if someone's trying to decide, um, if they're ready to move from an aggregate to somebody like you, what is kind of the threshold that when you're at this point, yeah, it's worth making the phone call if you're not at this point, don't make the phone call because it it it's not going to be a benefit for you
2: yeah i I think I think that when you pass five thousand on you're on your way to ten thousand dollars a month that you ought to call me All right and I that's I think that if you don't do constant business month by month, but you go to three knife shows and at three knife shows a year, you sell 30 or $40,000 each time. Then there are such a thing as seasonal accounts that you can turn off and on. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's another option. So once again, there's a lot of ways to, to skin the cat here, but if you're, you know, if you're making two or three knives a month and selling them, it's a couple hundred bucks. I, I think that you can get away with using Square, and that's the best deal going.
0: I've had a few banks that have uh, said they don't have any processing fees, and they just upcharge the the person that swipes the card. Uh, so they they automatically charge three percent extra to the cardholder, and they. They say, oh, your cardholder has no problem paying those fees. I'm like, I know that my people are not going to be happy if I sell them $100 and they get a bill for 103 So I would,
2: yeah, I would say that that's somebody that's that program is this. It's called cash discounting, which that's why we're kind of moving to dual pricing to do away with the cash discounting because of what you say. It, it seems like it's a, it's a kind of a horrible little thing. There, where I think that dual pricing is very upfront, um, but it's the same thing. But the problem with cash discounting, and I'm, listen, anybody that, if anybody ever listens to this, that's in my business, they're going to hate me for saying this. But, you know, the, the thing about the cash discounting is that I we, on the processing side, we have to assume the worst. I'm always going to assume that it's a corporate card that is being hand keyed. So I'm going to give you the worst rate. So, and I'm going to make money off that. So you're not doing your customer any favors or yourself any favors, but they're by passing that along without disclosing it all the time. And people do have a problem with it in some cases, sometimes they don't, but for a banker and and I don't know who you talk to, but that's not how it works. And it's exactly why Visa and MasterCard are being so diligent about trying to Correct this problem, because there's a lot of salespeople out there saying things like, "Hey, you don't have to pay a thing; it just gets passed through to your customer." But here's the thing: you're not really you are passing along to your customer, but you're still collecting it, and it still goes on your income that you need to account for that you need to pay taxes for. Oh, yeah. So it's not this. That's a terrible way to represent what cash discounting is, which can be a good thing, or even what dual pricing is. So, you know, when you say, what are red flags, what you look out for, if somebody doesn't want to take this time to explain how something works and says, hey, this is easy, all you have to do is this, you don't have to pay a thing, nothing is too good to be true, and everybody has to make a little bit of money somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So if somebody's just saying, or if anybody comes in and says, I guarantee I'm going to give you the lowest price, I guarantee I'm going to give you the lowest price is something that somebody that hasn't been doing this very long says or, or just got hired has a quota and they're going to give you the lowest price. And then next month, the price is going to change. So, and I'm going to give a, and I've always made it my policy to give a price. That's my price. And I lose a lot of business because a lot of people look like they're lower than me at the beginning, but in five years when my price is still the same and everybody else's price has been bumped up a couple cents every few months.
1: Yeah. Well, it's um, like the streaming service that it's uh, you know, yeah, $9 I mean, a month for the first month. And then after that, it's 50 bucks a month.
2: That's right. That's exactly we're, right.
0: We're going to give you this for free for six months. And then you don't realize that we're now charging you this extra fee. <laughs> right. That we
1: waive for the first six months. <laughs> Free trial. All you have to do is agree to a buy it when the free trial is over.
2: Right. That's exactly right. Nothing's nothing's free. Yeah. If
1: there's no free lunch
0: for those uh, free trial things, I learned this, that uh, if you have those like Visa gift cards, uh, you can use Ah. those even if they're expired uh, or don't have any money on them for the for your free trial. So when it tries to charge it, it just doesn't have anything to charge it to. So
2: interesting
0: don't get, don't get rid of those uh visa gift cards if they're they're uh, used up you can use them for those free trial things
2: yeah all right
1: that's a pretty cool like, that's good to know
0: yeah one of the guys that i knew he uh he had uh, xm radio and every every month he would get a, a letter in the mail that said hey uh xm radio tried to charge your credit card that's expire that no longer exists and he's like just throws it in the trash, <laughs> and he's like, "Eventually they'll figure out the glitch." But it w- he was going on like over a year where he just got one of those in the mail every month, so pretty crazy.
1: Uh, so, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't?
2: Man, I don't know. I mean it's a it's a very broad subject. I, I you know I would say that you know for for anybody that. Needs a better understanding of how this works. I'm I'm happy to talk to anybody about it, um, and y'all can feel free to figure out a way to get people to reach me.
1: Yeah, we're going to ask you for your contact information, and and don't worry, there is five listeners, so at most you're going to get like three phone calls.
0: <laughs> um, I know you're going to okay. probably get at least one from our uh, friend Jess Hoffman because he's he's looking for somebody different.
1: Uh, oddly enough um just got the the pre-show insider you helped me out at blade show heads up already
2: <laughs> nice so listen anybody can um send well my email's pretty complicated i'll just give you my cell phone number what the heck i mean my cell phone number is 864-320-1381 my name is greg erickson uh, you know, I, I would say that a lot of times if I see a number that I, from a different state that I don't, where I don't recognize the number, or they're not shared in my contacts, I will just let it go to voicemail. So, you know, possibly just send me a text, introduce yourself, um, because sometimes I don't listen to voicemails for a couple hours. It's easier to read a text while you're driving down the road than it is to fumble your phone and try to figure out the voicemail thing. But, um, mm-hmm. or my, I'm not even going to give my email out. Just text me or call me.
1: Yeah. And any of that information, everybody knows. Don't bother trying to write it down. We're going to put it in the show notes. So
2: there you go. That's perfect.
1: We can put uh, email if you want. We can put that in the show notes or we can just uh, phone number, text information that that'll be in the show notes.
2: You can feel free to do that. And I would say, you know, listen, every every company is a little bit unique and everybody has different circumstances. I'm not going to be right for everybody. Um, although, but I do think I can be right for a lot of people. If I'm not right for you, I'm going to recommend to you that you stay with Square because it's just not worth it's not worth my possibly ruining a relationship somewhere else to lead somebody down the wrong road. This business is the business I'm in is very word of mouth. Um, so if you do the right things, um, it's kind of crazy how karma works and, and your name gets passed along from one person to the other. So I have to work hard to protect that reputation. So the last thing in the world I want to do is, you know, find somebody with a podcast to be able to say, hey, Greg.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and as you said earlier, the way you're able to make money at this, because you're taking just a, a small bite is you get a client set up and then they're a long-term client so that you, you get a sip over a long period. So
2: nothing, nothing is a good deal for me on the front, but you know, five years later turns out that that wasn't a bad use of time. So that's a pretty good way to, and and, uh, keeping people happy and not giving them the, give them a reason to look elsewhere um, is part of the strategy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it's to your benefit to be honest upfront, because if they get irritated and leave in a year, then you don't get the four, five, six, seven yeah. year bite that all, you need. It was
2: all a waste of time, and I could have spent that time, you know, cultivating a relationship with somebody else. So, you know, you know, i it, it just, it behooves me to do the right thing.
1: Yeah, And we are all in favor of a good behoovering around here.
2: Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't like to be behooved? Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: I always try to do the right thing, no matter what.
1: That's right. um, and you, you, you just went ahead and, and and cut right to the end, and already gave the answer to uh, where can people
2: find you. Oh well, it's the, I, and I can still be found there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess
1: there's really nothing left at this point. Oh no, Kyle's got to do his his. Yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, you can keep in touch with the podcast at KnifePerspective.com, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, you can find us on anywhere you're listening to the podcast right now, and even on the website KnifePerspective.com you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives at DogwoodCustomKnives.com he's Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram and I'm Kyle Daly of Cage Daily Knives, KH Daily Knives on Facebook, Instagram TikTok and Twitter and uh, Kyle at com for my email address. So, thank you, Greg. It's been great learning a little bit more about uh, some of the things we rely on to make our transactions go through. So, appreciate you taking the time to talk to us.
2: Thank you, Kyle. And thank you, Dan, for y'all for having me. And like I said, if I can be a resource to any of your listeners, please don't hesitate to reach out.
1: Yeah. All right. Oh, you can count on it.
2: All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Yeah. Say, say good night, good night Dan. Good
1: night, Dan.
0: Well, let's take it to the edge, because that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're going to talk about.